So for those who don't know me, um, so my name is Nick, Nick Koch. I am the Territorial Coordinator for Justice and Reconciliation, which is definitely the best title of any appointment in the Salvation Army, uh, although it is a bit of a mouthful. And uh, I've been in that role um, since September. I'm a Salvation Army officer. And um, I see my role as looking right across the territory, how we can generate more involvement in social justice as an organization, as a church. How can we develop that work? So I started off my role by doing lots of listening because that's where I think we should always start, with, particularly with social justice. And um, I had a uh, 100 conversations in my first 100 days with people inside the Salvation Army, outside, to try and get a grip on what people thought about social justice. And uh, I'm going to kind of count this as a sort of a conversation as well because this is going to be very lots of participation. Isn't, you're not just going to be listening to me. We've had, done a lot of listening today. So I'm hoping you're going to enjoy chatting together as well. So just to get us kind of talking and thinking, I'm going to split you into two groups because that means we can get through a little bit quicker. So perhaps those are in this, from this table and then this table. Okay. And I invite you just to, because I'm assuming you don't all know each other, so um, perhaps share who, your, your name, where you're from, but then share very briefly, so we're going to do this all in five minutes, very, very briefly, um, an experience you've had of social justice within the Salvation Army that, that you've been involved with, okay? An experience of seeking justice as part of this, your involvement in the Salvation Army, but you only have... You know, very short time to talk about that, but just to get us talking. So, five minutes, off you go. And I'm just going to be listening in. I can hear some good, sh good sharing that's been going on. I have been trying to listen to both groups at the same time, which was actually pretty challenging. I am multitasking, exactly. <laughs> um, so, I heard lots of interesting stuff, and people talking about food banks and refugees and benefits and inclusion, um, I'm trying to think what else I heard, lots of different aspects of things that you're obviously involved with <coughs> in your cause. Um, and it, I guess when we think about this, the whole subject of social justice, it is quite broad. This, it involves all sorts of different things and also some quite complex issues that are going on in our society. And I had this group starting to go down the route of thinking about, well, how do, do we engage with kind of policy and that sort of stuff as well. So we can have a bit of a talk about all of that. Um, I wanted really just to start by thinking about a distinction that I often make when it comes to social justice. And it's sort of framing the idea um, of two different approaches that we make to the social issues in our society. Um, two different responses we make as the Salvation Army. One is that we often approach this from a mercy kind of perspective. That is, somebody uh, presents, comes to us and presents some kind of need that needs meeting, or we notice something in our community that we think we want to do something about, um, and therefore we, we feel the need to do something about it. We're activists. I think the Salvation Army is a, is a kind of an activist movement. So it's in our sort of DNA that this whole, let's go, we've got to go and do something. We, can, we don't just sit in our nice cosy churches, but we 
an active church. And often that response can be what I think of as mercy response. So that might be we see there's a people need food, so we have a food bank. Or um, you know, those kind of responses to particular needs that present themselves. Um, and that is a, a sort of a one approach that we can take. And that's really about treating the symptoms of causes in our society. But if I want to contrast that with a kind of justice response. Uh, and with justice response, what we're looking at more is, well, okay, we don't just want to treat the symptoms of the issues in our society. We want to cure the illness. We want to get to the root cause. And I think these two things we often sort of conflate together as all under the banner of social justice. But I think what I'm really wanting us to concentrate on this afternoon is on that second group, the justice response. How are we um, working towards that root cause stuff? And I think this is, this is actually quite important if we're going to understand what justice is. Um, so just a couple of, uh, of heroes of mine who are justice seekers. I've got a couple of quotes here that I've found helpful. So here we go. This is from uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a Lutheran pastor. I'm sure you've heard of him. Um, in the 1940s, sort of stood up to the, the Nazis. And he said this. He said, We are not to simply bandage the wounds of victims beneath the wheels of injustice. We are to drive a spoke into the wheel itself. I like that kind of... Uh, metaphor, sort of driving this uh, spoke into the wheel, this fighting against injustice, not just simply bandaging the wounds, but going to the deeper place um, in order to get to the root cause. Another hero of mine, Martin Luther King Jr., he said this, on the one hand we're called to play the Good Samaritan on life's roadside, but that will, that will be only an initial act. One day we must come to see that the whole Jericho Road must be transformed so that men and women will not be constantly beaten and robbed as they make their journey on life's highway. And uh, if you go onto YouTube and sort of search for Martin Luther King, you can hear him preaching a few of his sermons. And he loves preaching on the parable of the Good Samaritan, but he always brings up this same point that maybe we're not called just to bandage the person who's been beaten up on the road, but to transform this road so no one gets beaten up in the first place. I love that kind of way in which he frames it and brings the two things together. And in scripture we see it. So um, a verse that we use the whole time when we talk about justice, Micah 6, 8, I know you'll know it off by heart, but you know, what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. This we see here in scripture both justice and we see mercy and see how they work together and how God is absolutely central in that. And then Zechariah 7, 9, and the word of God, the word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true justice, show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. In your hearts, do not think evil of each other. So the Bible constantly brings these two themes together mercy and justice now obviously they do work together and i'm not i don't want to present the idea that um 
they, they don't, but they're absolutely committed to be together. Um, and it's not either or for us. We don't either do mercy or either do or justice. We should be doing both, mercy and justice. But I wonder, when you think of the Salvation Army as a whole, and maybe the stuff that you've been involved with, do, do you think we embrace both of these in their sort of totality? Or do we err on the side of more of one than the other? Well, what's your sort of feeling about that? So I, have a, I have a feeling about that, but I'd be interested to hear what you think. Anyone else? You feel this? Yeah, okay, so historically. Mm hmm. On the side of mercy. Any thoughts over this side of the room? Yeah. That's an interesting perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, it's hard to know everything. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. I mean, I go on. Were you going to say something? Yeah. This is what you can do, and this is the route by which, like, go and speak 
Yeah. So just giving us sort of that thinking how we do it kind of thing. Yeah, so well, I'm glad you mentioned that. No, it's well, I, well, it could be. Um, I think this, um, I mean, full disclosure, I'm now involved with the public affairs unit, but it's not my doing that there's suddenly there's a change or anything. Um, but I think this, that bill, the immigration, illegal immigration bill, um, and the fact that we are campaigning heavily on modern slavery means that we're sort of on a collision course with the government on it because we're saying we want to protect um, vulnerable people, people who have been trafficked. We've been about this for num 12 years. We've been helped thousands of victims of modern slavery and suddenly this bill comes along that basically says um, if you're trafficked to this country you basically have no protections, even if you're a victim of modern slavery. You, you, you will be deported. You might end up going to Rwanda or wherever. So that is in this, this bill is really um, put, put the government on a collision course with us <laughs> um, because of our stance on modern slavery. And so what you probably noticed is that we're, at, we're being proactive on it because it's actually something we want to say something about. So what we're being calling for has been to take that modern slavery element out of that bill, and that's what we've been asking people to write to your MP about. So I'm glad that you mentioned that because it shows that it's some of the information is getting out. Because often the question is, well, what do I do? You know, these things are hard. Uh, how do we tackle something as big as this? Um, and it's not always easy to know what to do. But yeah. Okay. <laughs> and you did on this. Well done. So that's excellent. If you haven't written to your MP, it's not too late on this. So we've, yeah. So the Salvation Army does work on different policy areas. There's stuff on um, unemployment. There's stuff on homelessness, and there's stuff on, um, particularly on the modern slavery stuff. And there's a few other bits and pieces that come up as well that we work on. Um, so yeah, I'm really pleased to hear um, and, and a plug. If you haven't done, if you do want to con contact your MP, there's basically we have a letter that you can, you know, guidance letter you can use to, to then write your MP about it. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's, you've put your finger on exactly the challenge. So why, so we all said initially, I think we said, well, actually, we probably are more on the side of the mercy than the justice. And I think that's for the very reason we're talking about, that 
it's a little bit easier in the sense that you can do something immediate, you can help somebody, you feel like you're achieving something um, and you're supporting people. And generally, people who help other people in our society are thought of as great. <laughs> Aren't you great, Salvation Army? You know, whenever there's a need, the Salvation Army's there and people lo love that and will respond to that. When you start talking about justice and you get start asking these difficult questions and it starts getting into the political realm, then people stop congratulating you and stop saying they want to give you money and they stop because it's uncomfortable. Um, and that's why we use this term of sort of fighting for social justice. And I always think, well, it is a fight. It's not as easy. It's not as straightforward. Sometimes it will take years to see a result of what you're doing. It's not generally not an immediate thing that you, you're going to see change happen overnight. Um, and there's this whole thing about reputational risk. You know, do we risk our reputation by looking, uh, at po you know, getting involved in politics? And as a result of some of the stuff we are doing on modern slavery right now, I've seen some emails that have come to us where people saying exactly that. I thought the Salvation Army didn't get involved in politics. <laughs> you know, the why, why is the, what's the religion and politics getting mixed up together in? But when I come back to scripture and we look at the, like the verses on the screen, you know, what are we about? What, if we're a social justice movement, a social justice movement gets involved even when it's uncomfortable, even when it, we risk should, you know, even if our reputation is going to be risked, even if we're going to not get the funding that we might want. So these are difficult questions. It's not straightforward at all. But I, th I would say, and I'm bound to say this because I'm the justice coordinator, <laughs> that we have to be doing social justice because it's a part of who we are as the Salvation Army. And we're going to talk a little bit about the past in a moment. But I just wanted to share with you one other quote that I have here, which I think helps us to frame in our heads how we should think about justice in relation to mercy and the other things that we do. So this guy is um, a, a guy called Campbell Roberts, a Salvation Army officer from New Zealand, a real sort of uh, pioneer of justice seeking in the Salvation Army world. And this is what he... He said, he, he wrote, he said, many leaders in the army accept and welcome the good that can come from engaging in a social justice ministry, but they would be reticent to see a ministry displace evangelism and loving social action. I suspect some of you may feel that way. The argument is that the army's historical approach has emphasized personal salvation and loving action to those in need. This has been the army's central mission, the core of what we believe and practice. Social justice isn't, is not rejected. It is seen as one of the ways of achieving this evangelical and social mission, but not more than that. My challenge to you is to rethink this basic mission. In my view, social justice can no longer be merely an adjunct to the main mission of the army. Biblical justice must stand alongside personal salvation and social care as the primary drivers of the Christian message that the Salvation Army presents in the 21st century. So what essentially what he's saying is, you know, we tend to see the two sides, evangelism, social action, and then social justice as a sort of subset of social action. He's saying that positioning should change, to seeing it as a kind of a third plank, evangelism, social action, social justice. So we're raising social justice up to the same level as these other things. And that is actually a more reflective of scripture and probably more reflective of our actual 
of our tradition in the Salvation Army if we look back. Uh, I, tend to, I agree with him. And I think this is something that we need to work on because sometimes these things get so conflated that we stop thinking about the justice and getting to the root stuff because we're so busy doing the meeting the social needs. We don't have time to do this other stuff. But if we believe that it's important and it's up there, it's one of the key things we should be doing, then we should make time for it and make space for it and work for it, even if it is challenging with all the things that we've talked about. Does that make sense? I think that's a good challenge from him and one I would want to kind of make to myself in my role and hopefully make to, to, to the territory. So um, if I go back to this question again, uh, the, my original question which is, what kind of social justice movement are we? Let's think, go back a bit to the past because that's where we always love to look when we talk about this kind of subject. So what, what would we say about the kind of social justice movement the Salvation Army was if we look back to our roots and sort of who we were from the beginning? What would you say? Okay, so give me some examples. What are the stories that we know of from the past? Yep. Just share a little bit more about that story. I can't remember exactly, but yeah. And it, one, of the, the, one of the interesting things about the story is that the Salvation Army took a, a very high-risk strategy to achieve their aim. So we talk about writing to MPs. <laughs> what, what they did was <laughs> they bought a child. They bought a child because they wanted to show that it was possible to do that. Because if you just said... So basically, young girls were being bought and being sold into prostitution, basically. And so the Salvation Army needed to prove that this was a reality because when they wanted to address this with the powers that be, they would deny this was even happening. So in order to prove it, they did it. And this actually meant that the Salvation Army ended up being taken to court because you're buying a child. You know, it wasn't the, the right, you know, good thing to do. So the Salvation Army ended up um, being taken to court for doing it. But it was a high-risk strategy because what it did was when they took it to the newspapers and it was suddenly plastered all over the newspapers that Salvation Army was able to do this, it caused a massive outcry in the, in the UK and therefore it enabled the law eventually to be changed. That's an interesting strategy, right? Would we do that today? I don't think we would. I don't know. I mean, and I've got a slide here. It's a little bit of the story here. So that it's often called the Maiden Tribute Campaign or the Purity Campaign is actually what they called it back in the day. Um, and here's a quote from one of the history books. It says, The Boos wrote a petition to the House, which in the course of 17 days received 393,000 signatures. That's before Twitter and um, doing it online. That's, so that's a, a huge amount of signatures. The petition was nearly two miles in length 
and was called up, rolled, coiled up into an immense roll, bound and draped with Salvation Army colours, yellow, red and blue. The petition was then conveyed through London to Trafalgar Square, accompanied by an escort of mothers and the men's cadet band. To comply with the law, that no procession should approach within a mile of Westminster when the house was in session, the petition was then carried down Whitehall on the shoulders of eight cadets and laid on the floor of the house because there was not sufficient room on the customary commons table. That's a pretty cool action, isn't it? I like that. And it makes my heart beat a little bit faster when I read that that's what we did. And I like the fact that it says in there, they were accompanied by an escort of mothers. Because, of course, this is part of the story, was it with these girls that were being trafficked. So this wasn't just the Salvation Army doing it on behalf of somebody else. The very people who were being affected by these issues were at the heart of this campaign, which is an interesting and important part of it. So there's that. That's a... You, that, that's a good kind of example. Any other stories from the past? Match factory, is that one you're thinking of? Yes. Tell us about that. Fossy jaw. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a picture of the mat one of the matchboxes. Pardon? Yeah, so it was a huge industry. Everybody smoked in, you know, back about then. So matches were kind of a, a huge part of life. So these huge factories produced lots of matches very cheaply, essentially treating match workers badly. There were mainly young women who worked in these factories. And the phosphorus was dangerous, so it, it gave them a kind of cancer, and it produced, a, it, was, it affected your jaw because you would be touching matches, and then you would eat something, and then it would start corroding your jawbone, and that became known as fossy jaw. Um, so the Salvation Army uh, had contact with a lot of the match girls who were would, were attending some of the Salvation Army corps in the East End, so were hearing the stories firsthand, wanted to do something about it, and came up with this idea of starting their own factory, just round the corner from the big one, and they, but they were going to not use the dangerous phosphorus, but a new invention of a, um, a safe phosphorus, which didn't have this fossy jaw effect. And they paid their workers a living wage, and they could have breaks, and then they would invite MPs to come to the factory, and they'd give them a tour around, and they got to talk to the people working there and hear how wonderful it was. And this basically led to a change in the law, and the, the dangerous phosphorus was, was banned. Um, and the Salvation Army stopped making matches <laughs> because the, the job was done. They identified the issue, the root cause. They were able to tackle it. And thankfully, we're not still all, you know, some of us aren't working in match factories for the Salvation Army now because we don't need to do that. So that's an important lesson. Is you can end something, and it's an action. But it took years. It wasn't an overnight thing. But again, it's an exciting story for me about how you can make change um, in, the, in just, using social justice. Any other, any other um, stories or things you know about from the past. Job centers, yeah. 
yeah, they uh, labour exchanges, I think they were called initially, weren't they? Where you could, uh, so yeah, that was a, a way of tackling. Before the welfare state, we didn't have a government that would set them up. So the Salvation Army went about setting them up. Yeah. Yeah. Some, I was thinking, we're thinking about the, the first campaign really the Salvation Army did was around the right to march and hold open airs. Because if you remember why women had wore bonnets and they were hard was because people chucked stones um, at them as they marched. But it was, the right, it was all about the right to be able to hold an open air. And so, so that was a campaign, and actually the law was changed to accommodate open-air marches as a result of the Salvation Army stance on that. And some people went to prison for it. So it's interesting. It's interesting all of these stories. That's part of our history. Um, and it's interesting, you know, how, whether we would go to these same kind of lengths today to do it. Or, or what this might, if we look at those stories, do they motivate us to think we could perhaps be a bit more bold in the way we go about it. What do you think? Do you think we could be bolder? Yeah, yeah, I think, I think we could be. Yeah. 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 There's absolutely other ways of doing it and we should use every way. You're absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, well, and it, this, the match factory wasn't an illegal thing. I mean, the interesting thing, great bit of the story of the match factory that I missed out was that they got um, every Salvationist, every corps was approached to, to say to all the members of the Salvation Army, you need to go into your local shop, your local grocers, and demand that they stock the Salvation Army matches and keep going back and bothering them until they stop them. So that was something everybody could do, and I think that's also an important part in this whole thing, that feeling there's something you can actually do, but something we can all do is you know, a big part of this sense of justice together. What were you going to say? Eighty-nine, I think. Yeah, eighteen, eighty-nine, yeah. Um, but I know that it's it improvements are going. Oh, the Salvation Army. Because the Salvation Army says we have a thousand races every day. Yeah. To, to be the doctors in places in the country, so they have to continue to train. And I remember thinking about that because when we were told if it wasn't stuck to you, and in the UK, people were just sort of, well, if it didn't improve my sinuses, then I would be failing my work because I knew that the doctors would be happy. They did. So this it's is an interesting tactic that they. So the Salvation Army didn't sort of take a position necessarily on the, the strike itself, but by providing a meal for the striking dockers, it meant that they could continue striking which meant that they won the strike. So without this, so the man, the guy called Ben Tillett, he was the leader of the Dockers, um, the Dockers Union. He later said that the Salvation Army was the reason why they won that strike. It was because we baked bread. <laughs> we distributed bread. That's it. So I like that kind of idea that, in a sense, 
you know, how do we use what we do in a way that can be quite agitational, <laughs> but in a way that is helping people? Um, so, yeah, we didn't necessarily get embroiled in the politics of it, but we managed to find a way to be involved and make a change. And uh, I think these are the kind of creative things way we need to think in our society about social justice. And I'm sure we could come up with some. And particularly locally, how do we make change locally in our neighbourhoods? When we identify issues that are going on, what are the ways that we're going to do that? Are there creative ways we can do, do that? I came up with nine, actually, or eight, eight or nine. Oh, I was just going to make this point, actually, because before I say it, talk about my nine things. Um, this was Bramwell Booth. Bramwell Booth became the second general, but he was, I think he was chief of staff when he said this. He, he, later, he looked back at this crazy high-risk strategy they had of buying a girl, and he ended up in court. And this is what he said later when he was reflecting on it. He said, the trial did the army a great deal of good. It made us known and put us at one stroke at the very front rank of those who were contending for the better treatment of the lost and the poor. Our work for women was greatly furthered. We knew that the Queen followed the proceedings with great concern and sympathy. The case opened door for us, doors for us overseas and in the US. Um, and I think one of the things that can stop us feeling that we can go for it and be a bit you know, more ambitious and a bit bolder in our justice-seeking can be the fear of reputation reputational risk and loss I think it they took that strategy and yet it turned out to be a great enhancement of their reputation so I think there's a risk in not doing something we risk if we don't speak up if we don't take bold action there's an equal risk in that that people will just go well salvation I mean they never really to say very much about anything you know they don't they don't do anything whereas you can do something bold and it might actually enhance us. So we, I, I, I've, uh, I'm of the view perhaps we need to be a bit bolder and not be so afraid of what might come as a result of that. Easy for me to say <laughs> when we've done it. But yeah, that, that, that's an interesting reflection from Bramwell Booth in the past. So these are some of the things that I, having an, analysed a bit some of those stories, these are some of the things I think consistent um, in these stories and things that might help us today in how we do justice seeking. So the first one is the Salvation Army won nothing alone. In every case, there were allies, collaborators and partners, people from very different theological, ideological and social positions tethered together by a common cause. And sometimes we love to tell these stories as though it was just us. It was in all the match factory, in the purity campaign, the other stuff, Docker Strike, it was never just us. It was always with others, people who were actually quite different to us, not just other churches, but other groups. And I think that's a, a good thing for us to remember when we fight for social justice. You know, if, if locally, who else, who else is, would be on our side in this fight if we were to tackle it? There's something in your neighbourhood that needed changing. You were seeing people coming to your food bank and saying the same story over and again about something that's happening. Who else would come alongside you and empower your voice together to make change. That definitely happened in all those campaigns in the past. The campaigns involved, this is the second one, the campaigns involved the coming together of leaders at the top and those affected by the issues at the grassroots. So what gave the Salvation Army a kind of a legitimacy to fight on these issues was that 
The match girls were part of our core. Their husbands, the match, girl, the match girls for husbands, were the dockers in the East End. So the Salvation Army was sort of involved. It wasn't that we were speaking, being a voice for the voiceless. We were empowering a voice and helping others to have a voice. Again, something really important for us to think about with justice seeking today. Do we, we don't want to just be the saviors, you know, being the voice. How can we empower people who are facing really difficult issues to have a, a stronger voice and get around the table um, and have an opportunity to tackle injustice? The third one, there was a willingness to risk reputation. Talked about that. Agitate those in power to fight a just cause. The British establishment, church, politicians, press were often shocked by the tactics of the Salvation Army and newspapers was ready to mock and caricature the Salvation Army as to lend support. We've talked about the kind of reputational stuff, I think, but back then, the Salvation Army took many, many hits. Number four, it was a struggle. Nothing came, little came easily or quickly. Persistence and tenacity was key to success. I think that's a big part of fighting for social justice. It's a struggle. We use the word fight because it's a fight. It's a struggle. It takes time. You kind of got to stay in there. Be ready for the long haul. Um, and that's true of all the stories that I've told. None of them happen quickly. Five, the interplay between social service and social justice was used to great effect. Simply offering a handout was never enough. It's always looking beyond that to how we can work together across this integrated Salvation Army of ours. Um, the Salvation Army used its influence to approach those with power to make change. Public re relationships were sought at the very top of the power chain, including prime ministers and members of the royal family. We're doing some of that with our campaigning now. We're, campaigning, we're, we're working with the Lords, people in the House of Lords as well, on this modern slavery stuff. So we are doing that absolutely today, but that's how do we go out reaching the people who can make a difference? Who is that in your community? Who, who are the power holders? It's a great question to ask. Who are the people who make stuff happen locally? How can you work with them, appeal to them to make change? Number seven, there was a little fear of using bold and public action to raise awareness of issues, even in the face of great opposition, getting out on the streets and demanding attention was a key tactic. Bands, uniforms, flags, we, they shouldn't be just in our halls. They have to be, they're made to be out in public. And we can use these in a way of raising awareness about things. And finally, the dichotomy between physical and spiritual elements of mission didn't seem pronounced for the early salvationists. They seemed comfortable with the idea that we don't just evangelize, but we also fight for social change. It wasn't a tension for them in the way sometimes we think it is for us. I don't know, any responses to that? We've only got a few minutes left. What time is it now? Oh, we're at the end. But any, I'd love to hear any final reflections from you because I've talked a bit too much. Any, any thoughts? 21st of April, what's happening on the 21st of April? There's a climate march, yes, and the Salvation Army is invited. 
well, we are supporting it, and if and there, apparently there's going to be a band going to be on the march, which is interesting, um, doing exactly what I just said we, <laughs> we should be doing with our bands, getting out on the streets, being seen. Um, so if you want a taste of that, 20, 21st of April, come down. It's happening from Waterloo, the, the church service, and a prayer walk up towards Westminster. And it's about raising awareness about the climate crisis and basically trying to encourage the government to be a bit quicker in the way in which it's fulfilling its obligations around some of what it said it's going to do. So you will hear, I think, some of that's going to be coming out in the Salvation Army news stuff in the next little while, so keep an eye out for that. I, I think we should probably close because it's tea time, but I do have a prayer for us to say, to finish. So I want to invite you to read this prayer with me um, just as a way to sort of close this time together. Let's pray. May God bless us with discomfort at easy answers, half-truths, and superficial relationships, so that we may live from deep within our hearts. May God bless us with anger at injustice, oppression, and exploitation of God's creations, so that we may work for justice, freedom, and peace. May God bless us with tears to shed with those who suffer pain, rejection, hunger, and war so that we may reach out our hands to comfort them and to turn our pain into joy. And may God bless us with just enough foolishness to believe that we can make a difference in the world so that we can do what others claim cannot be done, to bring justice and kindness to all our children and all our neighbours who are poor. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you for your contribution. Please get in touch if there's anything I can help with. Thank you.